Hey, welcome to Spiritual Gifts class through Immersion Discipleship School. This is session three called The Substance of Spiritual Gifts. The last couple weeks we focused on the foundation of spiritual gifts as well as the source of all spiritual gifts. In the coming weeks, we're gonna go through the different kinds of gifts, the definitions and descriptions, as well as how you may identify what God has given to you. But today we wanna to focus on the substance, which is the love of God. And you see this very, very clearly from scripture as we'll look at, but what I know is that people that I meet that have a skepticism towards the gifts themselves, whether they're open or not, uh, might be a totally different thing. But I feel like when people have maybe a hesitancy or a skepticism, it's not really about the gifts themselves, minus a theological difference. It's really about how someone misused or mishandled them. Some of us, we have church experiences in our past where we've seen somebody um, kind of minister in a spiritual gift and we thought man that's just not inspiring that's not interesting i don't think that's the way that god would be and that that could be very very true and so along my journey i found a lot of people are closed to the very precious blessings that god has given to us by the holy spirit simply because somebody mishandled what god had given and so we see that if gifts the power of god is not ministered in the love of god it doesn't actually draw people to Jesus. It doesn't draw people to the church. It actually puts them off. And there are a lot of people even sat in church that are put off by what God is giving because of the way somebody is representing what God is giving. And so we wanna focus in on the substance that the gifts should be embedded in. And that is truly the love of God. When we look in scripture, something you notice about Paul's letter to the Corinthians, which we've looked at a little bit and we'll look at in greater detail, is he makes these statements that I think are vital. And this is what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31, after he discusses some of the details of manifestational gifts, he says this, but earnestly desire the gifts. So we need to pursue, desire, hunger after, and I will still show you a more excellent way. He wants to show them the way that they are to minister in the power that he's just described. Now, he goes into a chapter on love, but at, at the beginning of the next chapter, chapter 14, verse 1, he says this, follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. So isn't it interesting at the end of chapter 12 and the beginning of chapter 14, he talks about the way of love. There's a way that we need to go about ministering the gifts, the power of the Holy Spirit. He lays down this principle because he wants them to understand. Now there, as he said to them before, they don't lack spiritual gifts. They just lack the substance. They're ministering in power, but they're doing it pridefully. So he's really trying to talk about motivation. Why is it that we want to minister to people with the gifts and the power of the Holy Spirit? He's saying we want to do that because we want to love them. In other words, if somebody needs healing, we want God to give us the gift of healing in order for them to be healed. We don't want the gift of healing so that other people think we're a healer. And so he's saying that the Corinthians have a problem with that. They want other people to see them prophesy, not because they want that prophetic word to help someone, but they want people to think they're spiritual, they're powerful. And Paul is correcting them saying, this is not spiritual. When you minister to somebody with what God has given, but you do it in a way where you want something out of it, that's not spiritual. That's actually prideful. That's about you. But when you minister to somebody by what God has given to you, spiritual gifts, and you do it for their benefit, that's what 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says, for the common good, that's your motivation, 
then it's powerful. The power of God is meant to be ministered in the love of God. That is the substance with which we approach this topic. And I believe that it is the massive key. It's not just a small thing. He wrote an entire chapter about love and he embedded it in the conversation about spiritual gifts. In fact, when I, when I do weddings and I get to officiate ceremonies, I, I sometimes will use 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Usually I hear many pastors use 1 Corinthians 13 when they talk about love. But what's interesting to me is that the context of 1 Corinthians 13 is a conversation about spiritual gifts and that they are lacking the right motivation. And so it ends up not being spiritual when you do it for the wrong reason. And so we want to take a step back and say, God, give us your love and your power so that when we minister to people that they experience your power, but they also experience your love at the same time. And that is exactly how Jesus was and how Jesus is. He's our example. And of course, that's who we want to follow when we think about ministry. Now, I want to give you some context because we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 13 in greater detail. And the context of Corinthians is that Paul was writing to a group, a church, of believers that he knew fairly well. He was in Corinth for about a year and a half, which is a long time for a traveling apostle or a traveling missionary. Sometimes I go to a church for a weekend. So Paul was there for a year and a half. And it's been four to five years since he has seen, seen them. And he's received a lot of reports about how they're functioning as a church. There's division in the church. There's sexual immorality in the church. There's a lot of bad fruit that's coming from them seeking the power uh, but not the right purpose, or they want the gifts of God without the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So the gifts without the fruit. And so he's dealing with this, but it's important to know that the city of Corinth is like many ancient cities. There's a wall around the city, which is meant to kind of keep the culture a certain way. It's dominated in that time uh, by the Roman Empire. And so you have a certain kind of culture. There's also pluralism when it comes to religion and worship, very paganistic. A lot of those who were Gentile believers who had been, had been called out of the world and they, had been fo they followed Jesus because they believed upon his death, burial, resurrection. They used to be pagans, which meant that they would go to the temples and they would give sacrifices and they would usually, many of them would join themselves to a temple prostitute in a sexual way in order to give an offering to one of these pagan gods. This was very normal. They had many, many shrines. They had many, many temples in Corinth. This was a very paganistic place of idol worship. And it's important to know that you have all kinds of versions of love, perversions of love. So it's important to understand why Paul would call them to love, which is really to care about the other, it's to think about the other, it's to put others before yourself, to consider others better than yourself. They didn't have this concept of love. There was a different version that they were used to. And the many gods and temples, I think it's important to know that were in this city, they had the shrine to Apollo. Apollo was a many talented Greek god of prophecy, music, intellectual pursuits, healing. And you can see how the spiritual gifts could just get perverted because they were used to this paganistic religion that they had come out of. There was a temple to Asclepius, who was the god of healing. There are many temples built for sick people. Sick people would come to those temples and they believed that this god would heal them in various ways at various times. There was shrines, shrines to Hermes, who was the herald or messenger of the gods, an evangelist, so to speak. There was the shrine to Hercules, who was the son of Zeus, half human, half god 
who is powerful, also has a huge lust problem. And you can see that how this would pervert maybe their version or view of Christianity. The shrine to Athena, who was a helper or a goddess of wisdom. And of course, the temple of Aphrodite, who was the goddess of love, beauty, and sexuality. This was the biggest temple in the city. You have all of this going on. Here are these Gentile believers that believed upon Jesus, came out of this paganistic way of life, and now they are, many of them are seeking the power because they're used to some of that in paganism, but they're not doing it to love and help and serve and bless other people. And their version of love is perverted. And so Paul wants to set the record straight, which is why you have this entire chapter devoted to love in the context of a conversation about spiritual gifts, about really truly receiving from God to help others. You want to make sure that you have, have the right motivation in doing so. It's very, very uh, powerful as he draws their attention to the substance of spiritual gifts, which is love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1 through 13, this is what Paul said. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And the only thing you want there is for it to stop. <laughs> Number, part, or verse 2, he says, if I have the gift of prophecy and I know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but I do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous. Love does not brag. It is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own, which is the principle he wants them to understand. You don't do this to seek something for yourself. It is not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love does not fail. But if where there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. And when I became a man, I did away with all of these childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. But now faith, hope, love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Now, it's important to know theologically, some people will use the latter part of this chapter as a way of teaching cessationism, that the gifts are done away. We believe that when that which is perfect comes, that he's talking about, that the gifts will be done away when the perfect comes. We believe that's the second coming of Christ, the full manifestation of the one that we're longing to be with. We don't believe that that's with the coming of the canon of Scripture. We believe that it's the coming of Jesus. And so that would be a wrong way of teaching this chapter. We just want to say as continuationists, those that believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit for today, we would not acknowledge that theology as correct. It's important to know that uh, as we continue. I want to just talk a little bit about what love is. So what is love? We could say that biblical love is acting in the best interest of someone else. Acting in the best interest of someone else. This definition might fall short, but it's a good definition nonetheless. Paul makes it clear that ministering in spiritual gifts without love is selfish. It's in fact not loving. And that's the whole point. I call spiritual gifts empowered 
love. In other words, you receive something of power from God and the whole purpose is to give it to someone else. And when you give it to someone else, but you expect something in return, it doesn't speak of how you received it. You received it freely because the Father gives good gifts. He gives them for free. And so being like Him means that you give in the same manner, not just what He gave, but you give it in the same way that He gave it. Freely, He gave it, and you need to freely give. And so to give with expecting something in return would be selfish and not loving, which would compromise the very gift that God gave you to bless the people that are in front of you. Paul spends a lot of time redefining love because the culture, as I have said, has been entirely affected by their version of love. John chapter 3, verse 16 shows us what God's love is like. It's a verse you've probably memorized. And he says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It was God's love. God so loved the world that he gave. It was God's love that compelled him to give. And this is the principle that I want to share with you as we follow God, as we want to emulate and represent Him, His Son Jesus. We want to live in that very same principle. It is His love that compels us to give. That's where spiritual gifts are the most powerful. I love you, therefore I give this to you because God's given it to me. This is what we see in the Lord and this is what we want to continue ourselves. And I believe that if people were to minister spiritual gifts with the motivation and the substance of God's love, I believe that these gifts would be received widely more and more and more. And the skepticism would come down. The hesitancy would come down and the receptivity would increase. The openness, the desire, the hunger for gifts would increase all the more. The way of love is a lifestyle seeking to benefit other people. The gifts and the power of the Spirit are tools or aids to help people as we love them. It's what God gives to us. In other words, I can, if somebody is sick, I can go and, and get them a meal if they can't make food for themselves. And that's a loving thing to do. But God also gives us power. In other words, we can enact and, and use the gift of healing for those that are sick. We can give them a meal, but we also get to minister in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a both and, it's not an either or. And this is the kind of people that we want to be. Loving people don't just minister in spiritual gifts. They do a whole lot more than that because love is always the, to benefit someone else. It's to benefit the other. And this is our working definition. We wanna use that same definition as we talk about spiritual gifts. The most effective trusted people are those that are moving in love and power because both of those come together. Now, if I could contextualize spiritual gifts for you, I would call them empowered love. That's what they are. So what God gives to us is power for other people. And as long as we minister it in the same way that he's given it to us, it will be effective for other people. Now, what does love look like? Because Paul goes into detail on these various things about how it looks. And I wanna go through that with you just a little bit. These are more of the descriptions rather than the definitions. We've defined love as acting in the best interest of another, but I wanna describe it because Paul gives a lot of, he gives us a lot of truth surrounding this topic. And the first he says is love is patient. And this means that we have a tolerance through the transformation process of other people. Love is patient. In other words, I have grace and a high tolerance for you or for other people as they're going through the transformation process. As people are growing, I'm patient. In fact, when people are in relationships and they can't wait um, to have certain covenantal blessings and benefits, 
I tell those people, love is patient. You can wait because that's the first thing that love is described as. Love is also kind, which means gentle, easy, good-natured, approachable. Kindness isn't just some weak-willed person. Kindness is approachable. It's, uh, it's goodness towards other people. It's gentle and it's, it's good-natured. We obviously want kindness in our spiritual gifts. Sometimes spiritual gifts are presented in such a way where it's, um, a person is not approachable. A person is the Moses on the hill and nobody can, can talk to that person because they're just so anointed and they're so perfect and they're so spiritual. They're not approachable. They come off more uh, of a power person than they do, they come off as a kind person. And I think we wanna have an entreatability. We wanna have an approachable nature, a, a gentle nature to us as we minister. And I think we grow into that, that takes time. And we all look different as we seek to do that. Number three is, is that love does not envy. Uh, we, want what others, we want what others have. We want grace removed from their life sometimes. I think that when we live in envy, we want the grace of God that's on their life or the favor of God that's on their life to be removed. That's what jealousy does. I want what you have because you don't deserve it. And so I want the grace that's on your life to be removed from you and I want it to be put on my life. And that's obviously anti-Jesus. That's anti the gospel. That's anti-God. And so love, does, it doesn't envy. It's like, I don't want what you have. I want to celebrate what you have that God has given to you as he has. And God has for me what he has, but I'm not looking to be exactly like you and take from you and, and, and use you as some kind of comparison for my life. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. It doesn't brag. It doesn't name drop. Uh, it doesn't try to elevate self uh, to feel important. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't boast or brag. This is important for us, especially in our culture, that we just want to be who we are, where we are, and live before the Father. Love doesn't boast. Love is not proud, which means that it's not selfish. It shouldn't, it, it's not self-promoting. We want to promote other people and not just ourselves. And if you think about spiritual gifts, a lot of times that's what, that's what people will do is they'll use their gift to get a platform. They'll use their gift to get something from other people or get something out of it so that they look a certain way. They build themselves up. That's why the Bible talks about um, that, that love does not uh, puff up, love builds up. And so this is why we seek the love of God because the whole point of spiritual gifts again is not that I get something out of it, it's that I give something to you. So love is not proud, love is not rude, it doesn't act improper or dishonor others for selfish or self gain. It's not rude to other people. Love is not self-seeking. In other words, we shouldn't seek benefit out of this, which I've said many, many times. It's not easily angered. It's not easily roused or irritated um, where you lose your peace and your love for people so easily. This is a word for our culture. When it says it's not easily angered, the word often means irritated. So it's not like angered as in like some kind of rage uh, outburst. It's talking about easily irritated, where we have pet peeves and we can all of a sudden lose our focus of loving people because this person doesn't act the way we want them to act, do what we want them to do, and we're now irritated by them instead of loving them. So love is not easily angered or even easily irritated. He also goes on to say, love keeps no record of wrongs. We're called to a radical forgiveness where we could still minister to people who have wronged us. Think about how God might give you a prophetic word for a person that has somehow uh, wounded you, 
offended you or whatever, but because you stay in the, in the flow of God and the love of God. And when you stay there, what if God will give you radical prophetic words or even healing power to minister to people that have wronged you, insulted you, affected you, and offended you? That's where Jesus was. Jesus was on the cross, said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. I still want what's best for them, even though they're doing this to me. When we think about spiritual gifts, if you really want the power of God, sometimes God will give you his power in the most inconvenient places and context where, where it might challenge you to exercise what he's given to you because of who he has called you to minister to. I have found this to be the case, but love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. We want to make sure that forgiveness is the first thing in our hearts and not just taking up an offense. Love does not delight in evil, in any wrongdoing for any reason, of course. Love rejoices with the truth. It always wants what's right because the truth is worth everything. The truth is what we're after. Love protects. It covers. Um, it covers people's reputation. It loves on people and brings them in rather than pushes them out. It covers the mistakes of others. And this is very, very vital. Love believes. We commit ourselves to believing in other people because God believes in us. God gives to us. He commits himself to give us of himself because he believes in us. He wants the best for us. And he wants us to have that same perspective and mentality for other people. Maybe you, what you see in other people is not the best. But through the eyes of the Lord, you can see them as they get impacted by and encounter the love of God. You can see them rise to their best. I believe people would do better if they knew better. And we get to be a part of helping people come to the next level of their journey and transformation in Christ. And the love of God, that's what it's all about. When we minister the gifts, maybe will impact them initially, but it's that love that I think transforms them eventually. And so we see love believes, love always hopes, it expects the best. Hope is expectation. I'm expecting the best, even if the context seems to set itself against what I hope for. Love always endures. Love never gives up on people. It never gives up on what God says. What God says is the truth, and we hold to the truth. We war according to the truth, even though reality at times with what we can see and what we can hear and what we can touch seems to be set against what it is that the Bible calls us to, what the Word speaks to us about. It calls us higher. It calls us to reach further and to go farther, and we believe and we press into endurance we need to have an enduring spirit as a Christian. That's what love looks like. Love endures. It actually goes the distance. And so Paul here describes, this is what God's love looks like. It's described in this way. This is the motivation of our ministry as we set ourselves to be ministers of the gospel and ministers in the power of the Holy Spirit to receive his gifts. We want all of these things to describe who we are and how we are. This is powerful. This is what the world is looking for. This is what, is what the church is strengthened by. Love is the heart and the substance of what we do because it is who we are. And I would remind you again that the Bible says in 1 John chapter 4 that God is love. It is not merely an attribute of God. It is who God is. It is what he is. It is an, at the essence of of God, and he has imparted that to us. The, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. On, on these two commandments, the whole law hangs. It's all about loving God, loving people. 
This is the reality of our ministry as we seek to be spiritual people. Without the love of God, you can flow in the power of God, but it's truly not spiritual. What did Paul say? He said it's a clanging gong and cymbal. If I were to get on the drums and start crashing the cymbal, and that's all I was doing, the only thing that you would want is for me to stop. And I think that is the experience that many have had when they've come to, to, this, to a church or to some kind, of, um, some kind of event where a person is ministering in a gift of, a whole, of the Holy Spirit, and they see this, they experience this, but it's annoying to them. It's, it's anti what Paul described love looks like. And I think as ministers of the gospel who have the power of God, we seek the power of God, we want to cultivate the love of God right alongside it, as Paul calls us to. This is the motivation of our ministry. The gift is what we do, but the love is what we are. Love is a part of our identity, what we are, who we are. Gifts are a part of our function, what we do. Very important to understand this. When the gift is without love, then the gift is cheapened, and the minister, based on the perspective of others, is cheapened as well. Isn't it interesting where Paul talks about ministering in the spiritual gifts. If I have prophecy and I know all mysteries, but if I have not love, he says, I am nothing. I am nothing. Not just what I'm doing is nothing. As a person, as a minister, as a representative of Jesus, I become irrelevant to the community and to the people that I'm seeking to minister to. Why? Because this is all about me and it's not about them. The world needs to know that they are loved. The Father loves them. We represent the Father and we love them as well. Jesus showed us the way and this is what we're seeking. Now I want to talk to you a little bit about pursuing love and desiring the gifts. I don't believe that it's an either or. Sometimes people will say things like, well, we need to pursue the giver and not the gifts. And the way that that is set up is almost like it's an either or. I would say it's a both and. That's the tension that Paul teaches us. Paul says, earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy, but he starts that, that chapter and that verse off with follow the way of love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you might prophesy. He introduces the tension that we have to embrace. And that tension is, is that we follow the way of love and we're growing in love as we seek to minister to people. But we also need to eagerly desire the gifts. So we're hungry for the love of God and we're hungry for the gifts of the Spirit. We want to cultivate the right motivation. But this is not something that we do in a vacuum. This is something that we do intentionally. And it's, my experience shows me that you can do this and you can do this well. Now, you might be more gifted than you are flowing in the love of God. And so we're asking God to help us to balance that out. We don't want to stop ministering in the gifts of the Holy Spirit because we're not as loving as we could be. We simply just want to grow in both. And so Paul introduces this tension. So I want to talk to you just for the last few moments about pursuing love and desiring the gifts. Paul gives us the, the clearest vision for this in 1 Corinthians 14, 1, and also 1 Corinthians 12, 31. The first principle I want to give to you is this. We need to receive a greater revelation of God's love for us. You need to receive a, gr a greater revelation of God's love for you. When you do that, when you receive a greater revelation of the love of God for you in Jesus Christ, that God so loved you that he gave his son for you, and that goes deeper and deeper and deeper. It is out of that revelation that you seek to minister to people. You are so impacted by a father 
that was seeking you, that was looking for you, one who was lost, one who went astray and walked their own way. When the Father went out, He's looking for you. He didn't take no for an answer. And He wanted to grab a hold of you, bring you back into the family. And you realize to what extent that the Father went in giving His Son. And that impacts you so deeply. When you look at other people, you look through those very eyes. That revelation of God's love for us in Jesus Christ has to go deeper as we seek to minister to people because it's out of that that we would minister to them in the first place. So I would say start there. Say, God, give me a greater revelation of your love for me. This will help us to grow deeper and more in love with people as we seek to benefit them. We want to pray for that. The second is we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, the Bible says that love is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. I actually believe when you look at the list, I think it's nine fruits of the Spirit. Uh, the fruits are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. I may have missed one. But anyways, I believe that actually the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. And then all of those things are a manifestation of love. It's debatable, but that's what I think. I think love is the flow. It's the essence and all of these other things like patience, peace, kindness, gentleness, as we've already looked at are the descriptions. Love is patient, love is these things. I think these are the branches of the tree. I think the tree itself is God's love, it's His essence. And so when we think of how it is that we become more loving, the way we become more loving is we be, we're more filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings fruit, His fruit is love. And so Romans chapter five talks about, it is the love of God is poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So we say, Holy Spirit, fill us. Fill us with your fruit. Fill us with your love. Help us to care about others today. Help us to put others first today. Let us step out in what you give us according to the power of your love in Jesus' name. We want to be filled with and flowing with the Holy Spirit. Number three is walk in the Spirit. Love flows into us and then through us. Obviously, we're filled with the Holy Spirit. We want to walk in the Holy Spirit, stay in step with the Holy Spirit throughout our day. And this takes communion with the Holy Spirit where we're constantly inviting Him into our day. Holy Spirit, would you lead me? Holy Spirit, would you give me what I need as I go into this meeting? Holy Spirit, would you give me what I need as I walk into the door and greet my family after work so that I can give them my very best? My best would be just what you give me. That's, that's us coming to the table and bringing our very best. It's asking God to give us more than we are and what he has. And so this is walking in the spirit um, all the time. We want this conviction, we want this flow to be strong and we need to ask God for it regularly, daily. Number four is we give gifts away. A lot of times what I see is, is that people uh, will have gifts of the Holy Spirit they even know they have a gift, but they don't use it. To me, having a gift and not using it, that's not loving either. When you have something that's for other people and you keep it to yourself, there's nothing loving about that. And you could question yourself all day and say, well, I just don't think I'm mature enough. I don't think that I'm loving enough. I don't think that my gift is, is developed enough. You can say all that you wanna say, but at the end of the day, you have something that God gave you for other people and you're not using it. I think that too is not loving. And so we want to say, Lord, help me to, to take what you have given to me and give it away to other people. That is what matters. And yes, you're going to grow in how to do that. Yes, you're going to grow in understanding that. Yes, you're going to grow in God's love as you do that, as you put other people first. But we have to remember, putting other people first means that you take what you have and you give it to them. 
If God gave you $10 million and said, I want you to distribute this money to everyone else, and you just sat there and said, well, I don't know how much to give to who and how many different people, and I don't know, I don't want to offend all these different people if I don't give them enough or I give them to, at the end of the day, you're just sat there with $10 million. What are you going to do with $10 million? You're going to spend it on yourself or do nothing with it. You're just going to sit on it or spend it on yourself. God has put $10 million of his spiritual gifts into your life. And he says, I want you to go and give it away. Give it away as much as you can. And guess what God will do as you give away that $10 million spiritual gift? He will give you $10 million again. And then he'll give you $20 million. That's the point, is that as you give away what you have, God will give you more because the whole point is for you to be a conduit of the Holy Spirit. So give your gifts away. That too is also how we love people. Now I want to simply just um, stop or conclude our lesson by just simply saying this, that as I've taught you already, loving people is about putting other people first. He describes it the way that he does, but it is my experience that this is the key component, is that when we love, when we love people and we grow in loving people, we want to give them not just what we have, but we want to give them what God says that he, that he will give to us for them. It's so vital and it's so important. And I want to encourage you that even if you don't feel spiritually gifted, even if you feel like you don't have that much, you have something to give away. And what you have is important. What you have to say is important because it's more than just you. It's from God. I remember when my daughter was probably about three or four years old, and sometimes I would get home from work and I would just sit on the couch and just rest a little bit, but she would never let me rest, okay? She was just a tenacious, rambunctious, fun-loving girl. She's 11 now, but back when she was three or four, she would always want to get my attention. She would always want to talk to me about something that was very important to her. I didn't always understand what she was trying to say, but she was so cute. She would just, daddy, daddy, daddy. She would say all of this stuff about her day. And to be really honest with you, I wasn't always paying attention because it was just 100 miles an hour coming at me and I didn't understand it all anyways. But, um, but I'm just sitting there looking at her like, oh, you're so cute, you're so cute. But I would look at her and she would somehow at her age interpret that I'm not paying attention, even if I was looking at her, so interesting. And she would walk up to me, she would put her hands on my face like this. She would stare into my eyes and she would say, dad, it's important. <laughs> and I remember, I remember looking at her saying, yes, Azariah, her name's Azariah. Yes, what you have to say is important. I am listening. I love you. Go ahead. And she, she was just so amazing. But it taught me something that I would use that as an illustration to say what you have is important. And sometimes we don't, we don't realize that what we have is important. We need to share what we have. Okay. Now my daughter was tenacious about it. She was going to get, but sometimes we're hesitant. And we don't think that way. A three-year-old knew that what she had was important and she was trying to get that to me. I think we need to have that same kind of understanding, that childlike faith, that God tells us what we have is important and we need to get what he's put inside of us to other people. And I want to encourage you to grow and pray for, to, to grow in the love of God because the Lord wants to give this to us in greater and greater measure. And as we step out to minister to the world, to bless the world, to love on people, God will just pour out on us everything that we need to give them um, all of what he has. So I encourage you in that. Let me pray for you guys. 
Father, I thank you for your love, that you revealed your love to us and that you sent your son to die for us, that he rose again, that we could receive the forgiveness of our sins and have new life, and that we're gonna be with you forever. This is your love toward us, that while we were sinners, your son Christ, he died for us. Lord, you demonstrated it for us, that, that it wasn't about what you wanted from us, it was about what you were giving to us. Your example is powerful. And I pray, God, in this conversation of spiritual gifts, that as we seek to minister to people in your power, that we would do it right alongside your love, that it, our motivation, the substance of these gifts for us would be that I love you, therefore I'm gonna give everything I can to you and this is for you. And that's where we would stand, Lord. I pray that we would grow in your love and that a lot of this would be that we finally step out. For some of us, we would step out because you've given something to us that's important that other people get. And I pray we would have that simplicity, that what we have is important. So Lord, activate the gifts, activate your love, help us to step out of what we were and into who we are, which is in Christ, to love people and to love people more. We thank you, Lord, for your love. Fill us now by the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, God bless you guys. I look forward to our next lesson together. Yeah, I will